Never in my life did I think that anyone in the church who, who stood for what was good and right, uh, who was devoted to God and to his word, would be labeled an extremist, nor did I think that on a Mother's Day in, in this country, women would march in the streets uh, to defend their right to kill their unborn children. What I want to suggest to you uh, is that the problem uh, in our country today is a problem that has been around for a long time. Perhaps it is becoming more apparent to us, and that, that, that is that there is a militant evil at foot. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, we looked at it some weeks ago on a Sunday night, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, uh, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This morning I want to show you from the book of Exodus a pattern that I think uh, that, that you can clearly see of what happens when a nation is on its way to having no conscience. Uh, I want to show you this power that is at work behind the scenes to bring the nation to that point, and I want to suggest to you that that same power is at work in this nation. And also I want to show you how mothers, as Al has already mentioned, can be or become the conscience of this nation. So, in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 8 through 13, a familiar story, it should be familiar to you if you know anything about the Bible or the Old Testament. It says simply, Now a new king arose over Israel who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters, basically supervisors, overseers, people who would work them. They appointed those people over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built, these Israelites, these Hebrew people did, they built Pharaoh's storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Now you hear that story. Here's a leader of a nation who decides, who develops some kind of paranoia against these people who've been living in his nation for a long time. By the way, these people, these Israelites, were the descendants of the Savior of Egypt. The Savior of Egypt during that period of history was Joseph. Joseph was a Hebrew who came into the land of Egypt. You might remember the stories about him and how God used him to spare not only the Egyptians, in a time of great famine, but also the Jewish people. And so here they are, living in Egypt. They've been living there in the land of Goshen, a part of Egypt, all of these years. Never have they done any harm to the Egyptians. Never have they been a bad influence in Egypt. Never did they develop a reputation except in the mind of Pharaoh, who had there were, began to be so many of them that he developed this paranoia about them. And he decided not only did, did, did ultimately, you will see in just a moment, that they not only needed to do something to dispense with these people, but they needed to kill 
They needed to limit their population by killing the baby boys who were born to those people. Now, I'm suggesting to you that whenever you see such decisions, you should immediately recognize that there is a hierarchy of evil behind such a decision, prompting Pharaoh to make such a decision. That's why we need to see what's happening in this passage of Scripture. I want you to see the pattern of activity here. So the question that needs to be asked in our church, in our own hearts, and in our nation today by our leaders is, why is this such an issue for these people in our country? What makes the right to kill an infant something that they are so passionate about? The very one that is helpless and innocent and being shaped by God in the body of its mother, they want to dispense with that child so that it will never have the opportunity, as it says in the book of Proverbs, it says the children will rise up and call their mother blessed. This, these millions of children that have been aborted in our country are one day going to rise up in condemnation against such an act of evil. So the question simply I have for you is, what is the source of such a putrid passion on the part of these people who are marching today on Mother's Day of all days around the Supreme Court, around the homes of the Supreme Court justices, and around churches of our land? It seems that they not only have a, a desire to destroy their unborn children, but they have it, this same group of people, have it in their hearts and minds to 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 destroy the minds and hearts of, of other children, children in elementary school at a, from a young age. So I want you to keep this bigger picture in mind that what we have here in the book of Exodus is the same thing that's happening today. It's a bigger, it's a bigger picture. There is a cosmic drama that God wants us to see. This is evidence of a struggle between the purpose of God and the effort of the enemy to undermine the purpose of God. So the first thing the devil has to do if he is going to destroy the conscience of a nation is he has to convince the leader of the land that it's the right thing to do. He has to convince the leader of the land. So somehow, well, we know that Pharaoh's not a good person. We know that uh, he's not a godly person, but it probably doesn't take much to convince him that it's the right thing to do to kill the baby boys that belong to the Israelite children. So first, Pharaoh himself had to be convinced. There's a paranoia that develops in his own heart. It has a beginning somewhere. I'm just suggesting to you that it has a beginning in this hierarchy of evil, the world forces of this darkness, uh, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, we see that the leader of our own land has somehow been convinced. This Joe Biden, who's the President of the United States, I believe we can call his name fairly and observe his opinions fairly. Did you know that, in, that he came to Congress in 1973, and when Joe Biden came to Congress in 1973, he was staunchly opposed to Roe versus Wade, saying that Roe versus Wade had gone too far and it needed to be overturned. In 1982, during his second term as a United States Senator, this same Joe Biden, who is now our president, supported the amendment that would allow states to overturn Roe versus Wade. And he's always been against using federal funds to uh, uh, pay.
pay for abortion. In 1986, Joe Biden said, the man who is now our president, that he believed by the year 2000, science would advance enough that it would convince us that, that abortion was wrong and it was something that needed to be ceased. This is the man who is our president today. He said, abortion is wrong from the moment of conception. The most effective pro-life groups are those who are trying to push back the frontier. Now, this continued to be the case for at least partly in Joe Biden until he ran for president in 2020. When he ran for president in 2020, he came out publicly and said that he was against the use of federal funds for abortion. When that became known, someone went to talk to Joe Biden and overnight he switched his opinion. Now, this man who did not have one chance in the world of becoming our president overnight, you remember, overnight suddenly became not only the Democratic nominee, but the man who eventually, against all odds, became our president. And the man who now says this position that he had held until 2020 is held only by people who are extremists. Now, I'm reminded in the scripture that sometimes the devil likes to make a deal with people, a little deal. He tried to make it with Jesus, you might remember. He came to Jesus and said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I am not saying that's what happened with Joe Biden, although something happened that changed the uh, scope of the land, but I would simply suggest to you that there is, there is a supernatural evil behind the scenes driving such an agenda. Now, what came next in Egypt? Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, the same Pharaoh, one of whom was named Shiprah, the other was named Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall then you shall put him to death, and if it is a daughter, she shall live. Well, if you, can't, if you can convince the leader of the land, then the next thing that you need to do is, is you need, and I'm talking about the hierarchy of evil. I'm not blaming all this on any one particular person. I'm just saying there's a hierarchy of evil, and first, he says, we'll convince the leader of the land, and the second thing we'll do is we'll whisper into the ears of the healthcare industry. And we'll tell the healthcare industry, by the way, what, what other healthcare industry did you have in, the, in those days than the midwives who were delivering babies? We will convince the healthcare industry that it is the right thing to do, that it is the best interest of our country, that it is in, in their welfare and in their best interest to kill the little boy babies who are being born. And that's exactly what they were asked to do. He said simply, you can do this, you can take care of it before the before it ever makes a sound, before the mother knows anything that's happening. But these midwives refused. The Bible said they refused, not based on some profession that was associated with their calling as midwives, but based on the fact that they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and they had a conscience, and they said this was wrong, and they did not do it. There's a hierarchy of evil. 
convince the leader of the land that it's the right thing to do. If we can't convince the leader of the land that it's the right thing to do, if we can convince him, then maybe we can convince the healthcare industry. And then third, you will find that Pharaoh tried to sway public opinion. We will make the public think that this is the right thing to do. We'll make this the law of the land. And we will make it seem that everyone who opposes this is extreme. That is the only way that we can numb the conscience of ordinary people to such a thing. Make them think that anyone who opposes killing little baby boys or little children or little infants is an extreme partisan. Look, this is not the first time it happened in history in Egypt. It happened again, you remember? Well, it happened in the Old Testament under Manasseh when they would take their children and sacrifice them to an idol. It happened in the New Testament when Herod said, we're going to kill all the children two years and under. It, look, you can follow it down through the centuries as the devil promotes his agenda. So chapter 1, verse 22, the, devil, the Pharaoh goes to his people. He commands all his people saying, every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you are to keep alive. That's the power of the enemy working his plan. And so when he tried to convince the general public, then the next thing he needed to do was this hierarchy of evil, convince the leader of the land, and we'll talk to the healthcare industry, we'll get them on board, we'll get the general public feeling that this is the right thing to do. And the next thing we'll do is we'll talk to some of these parents, and maybe we can convince some of these parents that it's in their best interest. Maybe they, we can send them a stimulus check, a couple of stimulus checks, promise them another stimulus check, and tell them that if they want to get another stimulus check, what they need to do is support the movement to take the babies and throw them in the river. Now, the Hebrew people would never do that, would they? You just haven't read your Bible. You need to look in the book of Acts, chapter 7, in verse 17. And so Stephen, when he's preaching, sets the pattern of what's happening. He says, But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, in other words, God promised the people the land. He promised them the promised land. When, when things began to get ready and the people began to increase, then there arose a king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race, mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. Some of these Hebrew parents, for the sake of their own security, for the sake of their own careers, for the sake of their own safety, fed their children to the crocodiles that hid in the bulrushes of the Nile River. That is what we read in Scripture. They were conforming to culture. They were quickly becoming a part of this nation without a conscience. But there were people of conscience. There were these midwives who feared God and as the story continues, we find the Bible introduces us to a godly couple, particularly a godly mother. It doesn't tell us her name in this chapter, in chapter 2 of Exodus, but her name is Jochebed. And Jochebed is a, is a mother who shows us that she will be a woman of conscience in her nation, regardless of the cost. Chapter 
2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And the Bible's just setting the stage. It's, it's telling us the moment this happened, the moment in history. This is the moment in history when this man, Amram was his name, and this woman, Jochebed, from a priestly family, they had a baby. They already had two children before any of this happened. Before this decree was made, they had an older son whose name was Aaron and an older daughter whose name was Miriam. But the third child came along and, and the edict from Pharaoh was, if it's a son, you've got to throw it in the Nile. You've got to feed it to the crocodiles. And so the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Wicker baskets are things you put little babies in to take care of them, aren't they? When my oldest grandson was born, my daughter that lives in Atlanta bought a, she said, Daddy, I got a Moses basket for the baby. It was an expensive little thing that she got, a wicker basket formed to carry the baby in a Moses basket. But this Moses basket was formed by a mother and then covered, the Bible says, with tar and pitch. She was trying to protect the child, and she took it and set it in the reeds in the Nile River and then had his little sister, his older sister, stand at a distance to find out what might happen to him. So here's this couple, Amram and and Jochebed. And first, the first thing we see about Jochebed is that she had a conscience. The second thing we see about her is she had a courageous faith. She's a godly mother in an incredible season, season of hardship and, and difficulty. And she's trusting God, trusting God to protect her child. When she realizes it's out of my hands, God, I can protect him no longer. They'll come and they'll take him away. You protect him. And so Moses is this child born by faith. Miriam is his little sister watching to see what would happen. By the way, Jochebed's name means the Lord is glory or the Lord is glorious. And it was her hands and her heart and her smile and her songs and her love that ultimately the Lord would use to shape the heart and life of this man, Moses. Acts chapter 7 verse 23 says, When she saw that he was beautiful in the sight of God, she saw that. God had a purpose for his life. She hid him from the moment of his birth. She sought to protect him. And uh, she, she, she was trusting God, this woman of courageous faith. But not only was her faith a courageous faith, it was also a contagious faith. Because the Bible says that as she took, she asked Miriam to stand out there. Miriam was waiting. The Lord, I'm sure that Jochebed had had planted faith in the hearts of her other children and said, look, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but let's just claim one of the promises of God, maybe one that hadn't been made yet, you know, it occurs in Scripture, but you and I can claim it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so here is this daughter, Miriam, standing out there watching to see what was going to happen. What's little Miriam thinking? All Miriam can think as she watches her baby brother out there in the Nile is, I have to remember what mother said. Mother said God has a plan that we know nothing about. Mother says if we trust God, God will deliver him. Mother says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up 
a standard against him. So Miriam caught the courageous faith of her mother and she stood there not only with that same courageous faith but with an expectant faith, expecting God to do something, expecting that God would come through for their family. I wonder if you still believe that, if you believe that strongly that God, in spite of this period of difficulty and hardship that our nation still is in, that you believe God will do something or that God can do something. Do you have that same expectant faith? That is the faith that a mother ought to have. First, first a courageous faith. Second, a contagious faith. And then third, it was a confident faith. That's the faith that Jochebed had guiding her children to believe in God, trusting God to take care of this baby, knowing that God would do something that she couldn't do. And then something amazing happens. Pharaoh's own daughter comes walking by. That's what the, the story says. Pharaoh's daughter walks by. She sees this little baby in the basket, in the bulrushes, in the Nile River. And what does she do? What should she do? What should she believe? Well, if she's, she's a part of her culture... What did her daddy say? What did her, what did her, uh, what did her king daddy say ought to be done? Her daddy had said, that little baby needs to be fed to the crocodiles, throw it in the river. But what happened? What shows to be true in the heart of Pharaoh's own daughter? She had a conscience. Her daddy didn't put it there. Where did that conscience come from? Her culture didn't put it there. Where did that conscience come from? What, what made her have compassion? God put it there. And God has put that same conscience in the heart of every person. And how can people have a passion to destroy children, unborn children in particular, unless their conscience has been defiled? defiled by the devil himself. I'm just suggesting to you that there is a hierarchy of evil at work. There is an evil afoot in our land today, a, the same ancient evil that we see here in the story in Exodus is at work in our own country today. And the people who can make a difference are still mothers. Mothers who will say, my, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will trust God. I will raise my child to fear the Lord. Like the midwives who chose to fear God, not fear the government. That's what God has always called His people to be. That is who God has always called His people to be. They realized that this was wrong, and they chose instead to serve the Lord. That's the ripple that Al was talking about. That ripple that rippled throughout the rest of Israelite history. These people who knew what was right, knew what was wrong. So here, Pharaoh's daughter comes along. Miriam is standing there watching. Little Miriam runs up. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. Uh, and I will give you your wages. Miriam had called her mother. And so here it is. She said, I'll pay you to love this child. Imagine that. This mom had trusted God, Pharaoh's daughter, saying, I will pay you to love this child. I'll pay you to raise him for me. I'll pay you to sing to him at night. I'll pay you to hold him when he cries. I'll pay you to feed him when he's hungry. I'll pay you. Will you take the job? Imagine that mother hearing that. What a joy it was in her heart to know that God had come through for her. And mothers who have a faith in God like that have an impact not just in their family, but in their culture and in their nation. Christian mothers need to stand up 
and be true to God, certainly you will stand up and be true to God. I know you will. But perhaps you don't understand why all of this is happening in our world today. Maybe you're a young lady here. And you say, well, this is, you know, it seems to me that this is just the, the right thing to do. This is, this is being, as, as, we've, as we've been told, this is being on the right side of history. You'll hear that again before long. You just wait. Oh, you need to be on the right side of history. Well, then Pharaoh, Pharaoh was on the right side of history because he was the king and he was the leader of the land and he was guiding culture. But he was on the wrong side of God. And God has his plan. And God works his plan. And as I read the book, God wins in the end. By the way, he won here. He raised Moses in Pharaoh's own house. And Moses became the deliverer of Israel. God may be raising up a boy or a girl in your house. He may entrust a child to you. And you will raise a child who makes a difference in this country and who makes a difference in this world. The, the ripple Al was talking about was the rock in the pond that we've talked about so many times. You throw the rock in the pond and it doesn't make one little ripple. It ripples across the entire pond. And the decisions you make and the stands you take will ripple across the culture. Let's pray.